0: I was thinking about it, and I've been thinking about this message for a while. There are many of you in here who just five years ago weren't participating in a local church. There are many of you in here who weren't even a Christian five years ago. One of the guys on the stage is just like that. There are many of you in here who you not only have become a Christian over the last few years, you have had your life radically changed. Some of you in here, you had never really taken an area of leadership before and really been involved in a local church. And over the last year or two years or four years, you've invested your time, talents and treasures to see God's kingdom advance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I was thinking about how quickly life changes, doesn't it? To think that five years ago, we were a small group of people meeting in our house just down the road. And now to see, this, over the course of this morning, we'll have over 1,000 people worshiping God, studying his word, growing in their faith. We had seven people give their life to Christ just at the last service. I believe that God is doing a radical work, not just through our local church, but through the church as a whole. And it is not dead, it is alive and well. And I thought about it, you know, think about this for just a second. Like some of you, not only was it the first time you've been involved in a local church, like it's the first time you've really lived your faith out. You realize 20 years ago, I wasn't even a Christian. 20 years ago, I was not a Christian. God makes radical changes in people's lives. The apostle Paul was once called Saul. He's on the road to Damascus. He encounters the living Jesus. It so dramatically changes his life that he goes from overseeing the killing of Christians to writing much of the New Testament and starting churches throughout the Roman Empire. That's the radical life change when God is alive and well in our lives that we see. And we've seen it 20 years ago. I'd have never been up here doing this and I never thought I would ever lead or be, even be involved in a local church. I was a young guy at the time. Some of you may remember that stage of life. And at that young age, I, I liked to party. Anybody like to party? Yeah, come on now. Some of you, I know you. I know you like to party. I was, I'm embarrassed to say this. Some of you know this guy. At the party, I was the woo-hoo guy. You know the woohoo hoo guy, don't you? Is that the party? Woohoo! We got chips and salsa. Check it out. We're dancing on the dance floor. Woohoo! Living it up. Some of you did this, I know. Some of you still do it. You go down there and you, you're at the party. Woohoo! Look at me. Uh, the truth is, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was the guy. I'd take the shirt off and I'd run down there. Woohoo! Living the dream. I worked out more in those days. But I'll tell you. Uh, I also remember at that stage of my life where eventually the next morning I would remember some of the shallowness that came with that. And I began to realize, and look, you don't have to be 20 something going to the party scene to be the woohoo guy. Like some of us are woo-hoo, I'm gonna get that next job promotion. Woohoo, I'm gonna get that new house. Woohoo! I'm finally going to find that special someone. We're going to have that kid. We're going to have those grand, And we're always living for the next thing that's finally going to bring us that elusive thing called happiness that we're chasing. And I can remember at a young age, Seeing the picture of my life I loved this particular stage of life And all the fun that you're having And then I realized that I'm going to do this I'm going to work hard during the week So I can get a good college degree I'm going to have fun on the weekends So that when I graduate I can go out and get a high-paying job That will make me successful And then I will find someone special And we will settle down And we will have some children And we will invest into them So that they too Not just become good kids who love Jesus Or anything like that That they'll become successful And powerful and influential people in the world. And if I'm lucky, I'll get a nice house. And then someday I'll get a bigger house. And then I'll get a bigger house. And then I'll get a bigger house. And then I'll save up for retirement and maybe go on some really great vacations because we're successful in our family. And then one day when I go on enough vacations and I've worked long enough, I'll save up for retirement, retire early so I can enjoy my life. And then I'll finally be happy. Doesn't usually work out that way. but, And then I'll Not just be retired, if I'm really successful at life, I'll see my kids grow up and and they'll be successful and then they'll have kids and then I'll get to be a grandparent and then maybe if I'm really, really, really lucky, I'll get to live longer into a very old age and then one day I'm just gonna die. And I will have been successful. See, many of us, we pursue these things in our lives. We chase the degree, the nine to five, the start the family, the raise the kids, the 15 minutes of fame, the retirement, and the vacations, and it never seems to make us happy. We have more things in our culture today than ever before, and more people are lonely, depressed, and miserable. You don't have to believe me. Statistics say that. I'm going to give you an alternative to that something many people here have discovered. I want to tell you about the joy of living your life for God, of experiencing the works of Jesus Christ in your life, living changed, living for more than just today, but for eternity, and seeing how God can bring purpose to your life beyond just the next thing that's going to make you happy for a moment, only to have the letdown afterwards. Turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to study God's word together this morning. Who is excited to do that? now you're tracking. We can, we can woohoo that. Luke chapter 15. We actually, when we moved into this building, we did this campaign. We called it the One Life Campaign. We believe that if one more person surrendered their life to Jesus, it would be worth all of that. Uh, We've seen over a hundred people surrender their life to Jesus since we've moved into this building, but actually probably a lot more than that. And we give God all the credit for that. It's in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he's sharing some parables, which are stories that mean more than just, this isn't an actual real thing that occurred. This is a story to help you understand a greater analogy. And it begins in verse 1 of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. One of the first things you have to understand if you're following Jesus is that Jesus hung out and ate with sinners a lot a lot and so when we say the church should be a hospital for sinners we, we mean that That it could be a place of healing place of life change it goes on, skip down to verse 11 it tells two parables one is the story of the lost sheep that the good shepherd would leave 99 sheep for the one That sounds like a bad shepherd to me, but in Jesus' mind, it represents the love that God has for you that he would leave the 99 sheep, the 99 lost people, for just one more person to surrender to him. He gives the next story of the coin that is lost in the home. They drop everything they're doing, stop the plans, and they sweep the house till they find that one lost coin. I believe that God has been pursuing and pursuing and pursuing me and you and every single one of us in here. And that's what I hope to demonstrate to you this morning. We get to this parable of the lost son in verse 11. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed to to the fields to feed pigs. Y'all tracking like he squandered the whole state on high living only to realize that he's going to be feeding pigs for a living. And then verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. Will you pray with me? God, on the fifth birthday bash this morning, we pause for just a moment and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room right now. God, that you've drawn some of us here for the first time. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us about what is going on in our lives. We thank you for the story of the prodigal son. And here we ask that we would learn what it is like to experience the love of the Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. So there were two brothers. One was the good one. And you know the story, we're not supposed to think the the older brother was really all that great, even though he was the good son. We're supposed to look down on him. But the reality is, most of us would think he's an excellent human being. He lived with integrity. He did what his father asked, didn't squander his inheritance, probably invested it well and had good stewardship. Dave Ramsey would have been proud. In fact, he probably was the type of person who didn't just listen to his father and obey. He probably read his Bible every morning. Prayed every night, attended church on a regular basis, may have even been on the greeting team and had an exceptional smile as you walked in the door. He didn't smoke or do drugs or date people that did, and he certainly didn't have any tattoos on his body that might bring any profane lifestyle to that place. And yet, the older brother in this passage, despite some of the good decisions he may make, is not looked upon as fondly. Then there's the younger brother. And let's not mistake that the younger brother is somebody that we should look up to. That's not the point of this passage, that he did participate in these bad things. There were consequences to his actions, certainly. But the younger brother, he liked the party. Like, really liked the party. You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all like the party go to the club. He lived it up. Unless you're old school and you want a little throwback this morning. Maybe this is more your style. Eric was jamming to this back in the green room beforehand. He went out. He lived it up. He lived the high life. Can we thank the tech team on cue again this morning? Wow. (laughs) He had the dream. He takes all that inheritance. He's like, I will yo, lo, you only live wife once. I'm going to go out and have a good time, right? It's so much in our society, in our culture today would say, hey, philosophically, he is very accurate. Nietzsche said that God is dead. We should go out and do whatever we want, make your own meaning in this lifetime because we're all going to die anyway. And so that's what he did. He took all that money. And let's not be too kind to the younger brother here. He didn't just go out and spend some money and make bad investments. He took the hard-earned money of his father, who worked to the bone, who probably had that wealth passed down from generation, from his dad, from his dad, from his dad, and he took all of that inheritance, and he just went and squandered it on all kinds of sinful living. Don't act like he is a, a good kid. He's a bad kid. This is the bad son we're talking about. And we know in the Bible that the bad son is the one that should be looked down upon. And if we were honest in our society today, there might be a few of us that say, oh, he's the cool one. Of course, eventually he ends up completely broke eating pig slop. Most of us, if we're honest, we'd call him a loser. And some of us, if we're really honest, we would say, if we're good Christians, uh, you know, he's just uh, wallowing in his own decisions here. These are the consequences of his actions, he's getting what he deserves. And yet Jesus in the parable, in the story, gives a slightly different story. Although some might think the second son was cool, eventually the money runs out. We would see him as a waste of a potential. We would probably look down upon him, say that not just what he got deserved, but he should have seen this coming. You see, prodigals aren't just people in their early 20s that enjoy the party scene or this lavish lifestyle that is described in this particular passage. There are many of us that pursue our own gain, that we want to do what we can in this lifetime so we can get that next promotion, get that next thing that we want. Some of us, we serve our job well to build our own personal empire. Some of us, we look to get that next house or that next automobile or that next toy or that next season ticket, baby, come on now. Colts of 425. Jesus loves the Colts. <laughs> Only to have our marriages fail and our kids become addicted to drugs and our lives not turn out the way that we thought that it would. And rather than wallowing in the pity, let's just be honest about that, the world is full of prodigals. Women who want others to think that they're beautiful or popular or successful or organized only to have them ignore their husbands or pass on their vanity to their kids or whatever our generational sin issue is. Jesus' words here is what separates Jesus from the religious Pharisees. The religious people of Jesus' day, much like today, would have applauded the first son while belittling the second one. And so I want to give you, because you know it's not a good sermon if I don't have three points, so we got three points this morning if you're taking notes that we want to take from Luke chapter 15. Three things every follower of Jesus must have. The first one is guts. Guts to admit that they're wrong. You see, in verses 17 to 20, the younger son has brought this upon himself. He he finds himself, because of his poor decisions, he is now faced with the reality that he must live in. Some of us in this room right now, we've messed up, we've betrayed. We've got some things that we're embarrassed of, and we don't want to talk to anybody about it. And we hide it. We hide it from our spouses, from our kids, from our boyfriend or our girlfriend. We even try and pretend like we can hide it from ourselves or from God. I'm not here to guilt or shame you, but we all have things that we're embarrassed about poor decisions that we know. It would have taken considerable guts for the younger brother to go back and face his father, to look at him and say that he is willing to serve him. He had taken all of the wealth that his father had built with his own hands and he had wasted and squandered it on this horrible, sinful lifestyle. And yet he had the guts to admit he was wrong. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that anybody who wants to follow Jesus and live for him must first admit their condition before God. Now, let's keep in mind this parable, this story, is an analogy not just of a father and a son, but of your heavenly Father for you. And so, as this person had betrayed and run away from their heavenly father, it would have been so, it's just so enticing, isn't it? Just to run away and to stay away from him. So many of us do that and spend our whole lives trying to avoid him. I know I've done it. Many of you have as well. He had the guts to go and face his father. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you have to be a mess up. We all tracking? Just because you have done wrong and you have messed up in your life does not make you a mess up. The good Heavenly Father here in this passage is about to course correct this entire young man's um, future. The second thing this morning of every father of Jesus must have is compassion. In verses 28 to 32, it's the older brother who lacks compassion and is not looked upon well in this passage. In fact, Being good is good, but we must celebrate the redeemed together. That means if we're really a hospital for sinners, as we've always said, here's how we emphasize that. People who come in who are far from God and have a lot of baggage in your lives, we don't just say, hey, yeah, you can come in. We love you. We are glad that you are here. We embrace you. And we believe that all brokenness can be redeemed by God, that the Apostle Paul was once Saul overseeing the killing of Christians until an authentic encounter with the risen Jesus. What do you think he can do with your life? Just because you messed up doesn't make you a mess up and being good is good, but we must celebrate the redeemed. It does not mean that we should go on sinning in the flesh by no means, Paul says, throughout the New Testament. There is a scholar, John Nolan, writes this in his work on Luke. He says, in the ministry of Jesus, prodigals find the free and generous love of the Father if they will but see it rightly. There is nothing here to disturb those most deeply concerned to live out the holiness of God. In other words, It doesn't mean that you shouldn't follow Jesus in your life or that the older brother was bad until that moment when he wasn't celebrating his younger brother. Being good and honoring God and being obedient is a really great thing so long as you don't lack compassion for those who don't know him yet. In fact, you could say that the younger brother wouldn't have woke up one morning begging to eat pig slop if he had never made some of those poor decisions. So honoring God in your life helps you to avoid some of the bad things, certainly, that you could experience in your life, although bad things may still occur. But we must be compassionate first, and we do not earn our salvation with obedience. It is unjustly given to us. Grace-filled, grace filled mercy in our lives. The third and final thing that every follower of Jesus must have is the love of the father, the father's love. Look at verses 20 to 24 with me in Luke chapter 15. It says this, so he got up and went to his father. He's finally admitted his condition. He had the guts to do it when most wouldn't more too embarrassed of the things that we've done, the things that we've thought, the ways that we've acted, the things that we've clicked on. He he goes to him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with what? Compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now in this culture... To see the grown man, the the head of the household, of the entire estate, in just his robe, go running down the driveway to embrace and to kiss his son. This isn't just an act of love. This is embarrassing and indignant. He was so filled with the love that he could see his son again that he had turned and admitted, had the guts to admit his condition. He just goes barreling down the way to hug him and to kiss him. My son is uh, seven and a half years old, and he's finally that age when he gets ready to get on the bus. I remember his first day of school, and I go to give him a big hug and a kiss. He's a little embarrassed that some of the people on the bus might see him. You remember those days? That's the type of embarrassing love that your heavenly father has towards you. Now, some of you have never experienced the love of a father like that. And I want to tell you, this is the greatest father the world has ever seen. Your good heavenly father, he doesn't just love you. He's so indignantly in love with you. He will run down, embrace you when everybody else will run away. And you think you're so far, he can't love you or even like you. He loves you beyond any human love you will ever experience. He goes running down there to give him a hug and a kiss. He says, hey, go get the fat calf. Put a ring on his finger, a robe. I'm welcoming him home and We are going to celebrate that this one person has returned. You think you're so far from God? You think you've done too many mistakes? You think you've been a Christian too long? And you should have known better to fall back into that again. I want to tell you the embrace of your heavenly Father is one of love, and that is so embarrassingly indignant. He's running to you, and he's going to pursue you, and pursue you, and pursue you. And he's been doing it since the beginning of the time when the human rebellion began. God did not give up on his creation. He pursued him through the people of Israel when they rebelled. He did not. Give up. He sent the prophets. When they didn't listen, he sent his only son to redeem us for all time so that anybody can draw near to their good heavenly father. But that's not it. You see, the love of your father, it's so great for you that he sent his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life that you don't just have to live for the next job promotion or the next good thing in your career or the kids or the grandkids, but you have something to live for that is eternal to invest your life in, to find meaning and purpose like these six people that came up on the stage did like many of you who have been a part of this church early on, sacrificing your time, talents, and treasures because you genuinely believe what we're doing matters, that we need to point people to the love of their good heavenly father. I want to end with Colossians chapter 2. I love this passage. Colossians chapter 2, the apostle Paul, who once oversaw the killing of Christians, is now leading much of the early church, and he writes to the church in Colossae. In verse 13, he says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. While you were dead in your sins. In Romans it says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He does not care the current condition you were in. He cares whether you have the guts to admit it. It goes on in verse 14, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness. You see, in that era, if you had a legal indebtedness, you owed somebody money. It would be written down. and You would not be able to get it off unless they would take the sponge. It's where the word expunged came from. They would take the sponge and they would completely blot out and erase the debt that you owed someone. It's referring to that when it says the legal, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us condemned. He has taken it away. He has expunged it, nailing it to the cross. You catch that? Like you feel like you've made too many mistakes and you're too broken and you're too far from God and you don't know enough about Christianity and you don't know how to sing the songs right. You don't know how to clap on beat. The older brother would, but he says in this moment, that he loves you and he loved you while you were still in your sin and he is going to expunge it, erase it for all time. It's like it never even existed. And then I love verse 15. I love verse 15. It says, And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, In other words, that the the battle that we find ourselves in spiritually, you feel like you have gone too far down the dark path. Your almighty heavenly father, he has not only expunged your sin, he has disarmed the powers and authorities. The imagery here is of a general who has had a great victory in battle, and he sends the army in to completely destroy and obliterate all those who would oppose. That is the power of God in your life going before you, destroying any of those principalities that might keep you from following him him. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It was like they were up 57 to nothing and they left the starting quarterback in. That's the love your heavenly father has for you. And he's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as you're standing there and you're unsure of whether you should follow him, surrender your life to him, he's running down the lane. He's going to give you a big, embarrassing, indignant hug because he's so glad that you have come home. That's the God that we serve. Will you pray with me? God, as we baptized four people last service and we saw seven people surrender their lives to you, And God, I know your Holy Spirit has been working on some at least one person here in the room right now and even those watching online with us this morning. And we've got some things we need expunged from our lives. First of all, for some of you who have been Christians for a while but you've allowed some things to come into your life, I want to ask you to pray this thing with me. God, forgive me for my wrong. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Because of your work on the cross, it can be forgiven for all time. And so I surrender it fully to you. I know he hears you. He sees you right now as you were praying that prayer. And then for some of us in the room here that you, you've known about God, you've been around Christianity, you've even attended church before maybe, or maybe you haven't, but you don't know where your eternal life will be spent. You've never given your life fully to Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that is you, I want to give you the opportunity to surrender your life once and for all, September 18th, 2016, to give it all over to him, that you might not just live for this blip on the map we call life, but live for all eternity, to see God use your life for meaning and purpose. If that is you, I want you to pray this prayer silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. Take my misdeeds and my wrong and forgive me. And I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. If with every eye closed, have the guts this morning. If you've admitted your condition before God, I want you with every eye closed, raise your hand for the moment. I want to pray something specifically for you. I see the two of you in the back. Wow, that's awesome. I see you over here to my right as well. Thank you, God. I believe that God celebrates those things. I see you in the back as well. I see the four of you. Thank you so much. If I missed, oh, I see you over here, the fifth person. Wow. I believe that God cares about those things. And I don't believe it's just a prayer and that's the end of it, but I believe God can start a journey right here. God, those five people that did raise their hand and that they did surrender their life to you, we celebrate that, God, as a church. We thank you for that. For those who are surrendering deep sin in their lives, we thank you for that. Forgive us for our wrongdoing. God, thank you that you love prodigals like us today. And so this morning, right now, for those five people, and anybody that I missed that raised their hand, I pray, Lord Jesus, it wouldn't just be a prayer, it would be a journey with you. They would begin to connect with you, to read and study your word, that they would get connected and be discipled, maybe attend a rooted class, that they begin to live on mission and get involved in the life of the church, that they reach out to a pastor and actually ask them how they can follow you more fully. We surrender those five people to you, the seven at the first service, God, and we thank you for this morning. We pray this in Jesus' holy name and all God's family together said, amen.